Where do you think you are in life? Are you in the throes of it? Are you at the end of it? I don't mean necessarily physical because of your age or maybe because of illness or something. I'm talking about where are you at as far as the one with the resurrection power that could set your life free. You see, the triumphant Christian is not one that fights for victory. The triumphant Christian is the one who celebrates the victory that is already won. Victory is Christ's business, not ours. Our business is to live in that victory. You and I have the resurrection power. This is why Thomas, on that day, when Jesus appeared to them, he said, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch the nails in his hands or if I can thrust my hands into his side. He said, I'm not going to believe. But then Thomas, when Jesus appeared, the first thing he did, not saying a thing to the rest of the disciples, he said, Thomas, come here. Thrust your hand into the nail prints. Thrust your hand into my side. Can I tell you something? At that point in time, his eyes were open to the resurrection power of Christ, and all he could do was fall to his knees and say, my Lord and my God. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's VLCCAZ.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Easter, Resurrection Sunday. I'm not here to deliberate what verbiage you use, but I am here to excitedly tell you that we are victorious because of Easter. We are victorious because of this day that really did transpire 2,000 years ago. I'm not here to tell you the exact day, hour, week, month, but I am here for the next few minutes to help us to understand how important this day is to your life and mine. How, if it wasn't for this day, What happened three days ago wouldn't have mattered. What happened the week before that wouldn't have mattered. Talking about Palm Sunday and Good Friday. See, it wouldn't have mattered if he rose in victorious, King of kings, Lord of lords. Now, we know he rode into Jerusalem as a suffering servant, not a conquering king. But that day would not have mattered. And some five days later... Six days later, at a place called Golgotha, it wouldn't have mattered that they hung him on a cross. In all the different terms and all the different words of the last statements of Jesus, none of those things would have mattered if it wasn't for this day. He would have just been another body in a tomb. But something happened on that third day. 
E. Stanley Jones, one of the great Christian apologists of many, many years gone by, wrote an autobiography of his own, and he called it the Song of Ascents. And he talks about a friend of his that was a newspaperman. And because the local pastor was out of town in the small community they they lived in, they asked this newspaperman to conduct a funeral service. Well, the newspaperman never had done anything like that, but being an exact man, he decided, I need to know how to do a funeral. I need to know what to do. And so he went to the only place that he knew that could give him the correct answer, and that was God's Word. Well, he scoured the Scriptures. From Matthew all the way to Revelation, he looked into the original source and the original text and the original language to see how did Jesus conduct a funeral. Well, he found something that amazed him. Jesus never did funerals. He only did resurrections. I start with that true story for this reason. There's some that are sitting right here in the sound of my voice, voice and, and you might think that your life is, is basically on the end. You're on the downhill slide. Well, what is left? Resurrection power. The resurrection that he has planned for your life. John chapter 11, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know whatever you ask God, God will give you. You talk about a woman of faith. She's got a dead brother lying in a tomb. And she said, Lord, I know if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. There are times that God allows us to go through things, and we wonder if he is there. But she said these words, I know that whatever you ask the Father, he will give you. Do you feel like you're at that place, that you're at the end, that you're down to the bottom rung of the ladder, if you will? Can I tell you to, instead of looking out, start looking up? Because your God is still on the throne. Can somebody say amen? Jesus said to Mary, or to Martha, I said, your brother will rise again. Now, understand, folks, I I know there's probably one or two folks, one one or two of you, I don't want to go too far, but one or two of you that have had a doubt or two in your Christian life. (laughs) He played Doubting Thomas last week. Anybody had any doubt in here besides me? Okay, I just I thought I would be, I'd be safe to say one or two. So immediately the same Mary that said, I know whatever you ask the Father, he'll give you, made this declaration and said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Does that sound a little doubtful? Does that sound like, oh yeah, I'm sure it's going to happen sometime in the sweet by and by? But I want him right now down on the ground while I'm still walking around. That's what I want. And then Jesus said these words, and please, if you're here today, 
I don't care where you've been. I don't care where you're at. I want you to hear this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he dies, though he is at the very end, though he has nothing else to look for in this life, he said, in me he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. But then I have to end it with the question Jesus asked. He made that powerful resurrection power statement. But then he said these four words. Do you believe this? That same doubt, I think, runs across the auditorium. I believe, but help my unbelief. Can I tell you something about Christianity? Thank you. To the Christian, to trust is to triumph. I left that in your notes, but I'd love you to put a circle around it. I'd love you to underline it. I'd love you to put quotation marks at both ends. To trust is to triumph. There's sometimes, like Thomas, that doubt just wants to beat us down. Can I tell you something? On this resurrection day, we're going to hear about it in a few moments. There's 12 people that were filled with doubt. There were probably dozens, hundreds, if not thousands of others that wondered, what happened? In your notes, I want to start off by looking at the resurrection's proof just for a few moments. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of your faith and mine. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, without it, you and I, as believers, have no hope in this life, nor the life to come. As I said earlier, folks, what happened on Palm Sunday, what happened on Good Friday, it are moot things if Resurrection Sunday had not happened. If today, the day that we set apart is Resurrection Sunday, call it Easter, call it Resurrection, call it what you will. If today had not happened, none of the rest would have mattered. We'd just close up the books and go home, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow it's done. If it wasn't for the resurrection, you and I would have no hope in this life nor in the life to come. Paul is writing to a group of people called the Sadducees. Most of you know of the Pharisees. Well, there was an opposite end of the spectrum, and they were, they were called the Sadducees. And they did not believe in the resurrection. That is why they were sad, you see. My humor does get better. Okay, we'll just leave that one lie. Paul's writing to the, to the Sadducees in 1 Corinthians 15, and he said, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Folks, if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, what are we doing here? What are we doing? Just some kind of uh, religious celebration to soothe guilty consciences? Understand, a Christian's belief in the resurrection 
I want you to hear this, is not based on a religious feeling in some or upon some unfounded idea of something that, that potentially happened in the past, nor are we talking about an isolated rumor. When I speak of the resurrection, I speak of an historical fact that has solid evidence to support it. Can somebody say amen? amen. There is a fictitious movie that came out uh, last year, the year before. It's called Risen. Now, I'm not going to advocate the movie. There are, there's a lot of biblical greatness in it, but there's, there's some things that they've taken a theatrical liberties in. But if you haven't seen it, I would encourage you to, to, to pull it up. It's, it's out this time of year. And it's about a fictitious story of a tribune called Clavius. And Clavius is the one that watched over Barabbas's insurrection and was, was critical in getting him put into prison and watching him when he was released instead of Jesus. He was also the tribune that oversaw the crucifixion. Once again, this fictitious story. And he watched and he listened and he heard. And all of a sudden... He tells his, his soldiers when it comes time to take Jesus off the cross and the two thieves off the cross. Why? Because religious tradition did not allow them to be hung there into the Passover, which was the next day. And so they went and they broke one thief's legs and they broke another thief's legs. And they came to Jesus and found he was already dead. So Clavius, the tribune, he commanded that a spear be thrown into his side. Once again, folks, I'm not giving biblical texts. I'm giving you a movie's theatrics. And he watched, and the face of Jesus burned into his eyes. And he watched as he saw this man very dead. Well, he was also appointed by Pilate to guard the tomb, to put the guards in their stead. Four quadrilegions of soldiers, 16 of them, quadrillions of soldiers were set to guard the tomb. And in the picture of this movie, Claudius' life was radically changed. So not to be, what do they call it, spoil alert, go watch the movie. But in proof of the resurrection, in the early 20th century, there was a group of lawyers in England that were intrigued by the death and resurrection of Christ. And so they decided to set out on a worldwide uh, discovery course to find out if there was sufficient information that was available to make the case for the resurrection to hold up an English court of law. Well, they published their investigation, concluding that Christ's resurrection <coughs> was one of the most well-established facts of human history. G.B. Hardy wrote from the lawyer's findings, and he looked at the whole concept of the resurrection, and he said there's, there's really two essential requirements regarding the resurrection, 
And the first one, he said, has anyone ever cheated death and proved it? And then the second question, he said, if so, is it available to me? Well, we know that somebody did not cheat death, but conquer death. And he proved it. And yes, it is available to all that would call upon the name of the Lord. So he went through the writings of these England, these English uh, lawyers and, and these professors, and the lawyers traveled the world, and G.B. Hardy uh, followed their research. And in their travels, you know what they found? They found the tomb of Confucius occupied, the tomb of Muhammad occupied, the tomb of Buddha occupied. They come to Jerusalem and found the tomb of Jesus empty. Folks, let me me tell you something. You want to discount and disregard and totally debunk the resurrection? Just produce a body. Just produce a body. They couldn't do it then. Two millennium later, the tomb is still empty, folks. Now, I don't know about you. If I was the disciples, I wouldn't be following a loser if it wasn't real. Think about it, the irrefutable fact of the Lord's resurrection is what gives us the power to live against the wiles of the enemy and the assault of mankind today. Let me go further in the lawyer's research. They went to the pyramids, the pyramids of Egypt, the pyramids around the world, and you know why they were famous? Because of the mummified bodies were found in those pyramids, especially of the Egyptians. Westminster Abbey, a beautiful cathedral in England. Westminster Abbey is famous because of the bodies of English nobles and notables. Muhammad's tomb. Folks, Islam is trying to sweep the world, which the Word of God said it would do in the last days. Muhammad's tomb is famous because of a stone coffin that still contains bones. Arlington Cemetery, one of the revered resting places of our military, people who have given their lives in fulfillment of Jesus' word in John, greater love has no one than this that lay down life for their friends. The honored resting place of many outstanding Americans. But the garden tomb, folks, you see it on the screen. The garden tomb. Been there. It's famous. You know why? You walk inside, ain't nobody home. I talked about Clavius, the tribune. And I talked about producing a body. I want to ask you something today. Never before in history has an empty tomb caused so much dispute. Can you imagine the first discussion 
of the soldiers when they found the stone was rolled away? Are they gone? Which ones? Those women that were here and ran back to town crying, He is risen? Or those crazy disciples of Jesus who found the tomb just like we did, empty? No, neither. I, I meant the captain of the guard. Isn't that why we were hiding? We, we were supposed to guard the tomb and the giant stone which kept us sealed. Sometime during the night, there, there was a flash of light. I, I don't think we fell asleep. I tried hard to stay awake at my post, but then that blinding light, and then suddenly... It, it was morning, and, and the stone... Well, it was rolled away, and that tomb was empty. Oh, we are going to be in so much trouble. <laughs> but we had the perfect hiding place behind those boulders over there, and, and, and we watched all, this, all that happened this morning when those women and, and disciples came. Well... Those women came to anoint the body. It's their custom, you know. But I don't know how they thought they were going to get into that tomb with that giant stone in front of it. I, I know, I know. And, and yet, just as we saw, the stone was rolled away. Who could have done this thing? I don't know. I mean, the governor's seal was broken and the ropes were torn. And why didn't we see any of this or hear any of this happening last night? Uh, they're going to think we fell asleep. Who is going to believe us now? It's just as they said. He would be alive again after three days. So much has happened. And I just don't understand. I don't, I don't understand it at all. How will we explain it to the captain? Well, you know, we watched this, Jesus. We heard him teach about love and kindness and how we must turn away from our sins. We saw him heal the people, the crippled, the blind, the sick. And why did the priests and Sadducees hate him so much that they wanted him dead? Because they were afraid of him, just like we Romans were. We thought he was going to rise the Jews up against Rome. He was just a simple man who did no harm to anyone. He was good and kind. I only ever saw him angry once when he turned over the money changers table in the temple. We were called to help calm the crowd when that happened. Remember? Yeah, I remember. And then Pilate, he didn't want any parts of this. He tried to get the people to let Jesus go free, but the crowd just kept yelling out for Barabbas. That didn't make any sense. Barabbas. Barabbas? Barabbas was a criminal. He deserved his eye for his sins. So Jesus, this innocent man, was sentenced to be crucified in place of Barabbas. The real criminal. And I watched as this Jesus got beaten and whipped so bad that flesh was torn from his body. And then he had to carry that cross all the way to Golgotha. It was gruesome to watch. I'm surprised he didn't die right there. Some of the soldiers cast lots for his robe. I mean, I couldn't join in. It, it, it just seemed so wrong. I was busy getting the nails for the cross. I was close enough to watch, and Jesus, he never uttered a word. Just groans of pain. Well, I helped with the nailing. But he wasn't like the other criminals I had to crucify. He didn't put up a fight. It was though he had a purpose, a plan. 
And then I heard him say, Father, forgive them, or they don't know what they're doing. It, his father? Could it be? His, his father, Joseph, I think he is dead. No, not that father. You didn't mean that father. He meant his father in heaven. God. And then this Jesus, he died. It, it wasn't right. It, it wasn't right. I wanted to know more about him. I was afraid to ask because I am a Roman soldier. And, but now it, it's, it's too late. He, he's gone. Oh, but, but, but here we are today. We watched him die. You know, that's just as he said. And now the tomb is empty. Just as he said. And he's risen from the grave after three days. Just as he said. Surely, this man is the Son of God. Well, I think we're finished here. We better report in. This isn't going to be easy to explain. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> we're finished. But it is finished. You think about what that day must have been like. Our two soldiers trying to weigh through, trying to think through, trying to process through all the events of the last few days. But there is something that they said, surely this is the Son of God. And then he said those words, it is finished. You see, those, those three words are the first words of the resurrection power. Because those words tell us that you and I will overcome. The grave couldn't keep him, neither could death hold him. I remember reading a story one time about an old rancher. And an old rancher was getting close to death, and he called the pastor to to come and lay out his final funeral plans, and he, he kind of put a strange request out there, and he said, you know, you know, Parson, I, I'd like to be married. I, I, be married. I'd like to be buried in my old pickup truck. <laughs> Some folks love their truck that much. <laughs> I would be buried in my old pickup truck, and the uh, parson and the undertaker kind of talked to him and said, try, trying to get him out of that, that crazy notion of getting buried because they knew how much work to make that big of a hole. So they finally, one of them got enough courage to ask him, well, why do you want to be buried, buried in your pickup truck? And the old rancher said, well, I ain't never seen a hole that truck couldn't get me out of. As I said, my humor does get better. But folks, can I tell you, that hold didn't keep him. The grave couldn't hold him. Oh, death, 1 Corinthians 15, where is thy sting? Grave, where is your victory? I read about a father who had lost his wife just a few months earlier, and then 
Here, literally, a few months later, his little girl died. Only the minister and the father were there to follow the casket. The father's grief was incredible. It was great. And at the grave, the father reached into his pocket and pulled out something. It was the key. See, back in the days gone by, they actually had a lock on a casket. And the father took the key to that casket out, and he opened it so he could look at his daughter's face one more time. Silently, he closed the casket and handed the key to the keeper of the cemetery. But I want you to listen to the conversation on the way back. The minister saw the heartbreak and saw the pain, and he quoted Revelation chapter 118 to the father. He said, the Lord Jesus died and is now alive, but he holds the keys of death. And the man asked, what does this mean? And the minister said these words, your little girl's grave keys hangs on the girdle of the Son of God, Jesus. And one resurrection morning, he is going to use those keys, and he's going to unlock that casket, and she's going to be alive forevermore. The light broke through the man's tears, and he saw the glory of the resurrection. Folks, today I've asked, where do you think you are in life? Are you in the throes of it? Are you at the end of it? I don't mean necessarily physical because of your age or maybe because of illness or something. I'm talking about where are you at as far as the one with the resurrection power that could set your life free. You see, the triumphant Christian is not one that fights for victory. The triumphant Christian is the one who celebrates the victory that is already won. Victory is Christ's business, not ours. Our business is to live in that victory. Can somebody say amen? You and I have the resurrection power. This is why Thomas, on that day, when Jesus appeared to them, he said, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch the nails in his hands or if I can thrust my hands into his side. He said, I'm not going to believe. But then Thomas, when Jesus appeared, the first thing he did, not saying a thing to the rest of the disciples, he said, Thomas, come here. Thrust your hand in the nail prints. Thrust your hand into my side. Can I tell you something? At that point in time, his eyes were open to the resurrection power of Christ. And all he could do was fall to his knees and say, my Lord and my God. John chapter 19. It's not on the screen, but it's, please write it in your notes. It's the only two places that we hear the words that we've been talking about this morning. It is finished. The only two places in all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation are these words recorded. And they both mean the same thing. And it was John 19, 28, where Jesus said, knowing that everything had been finished so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. Verse 30, Jesus said, I am thirsty. When he therefore had received the vinegar mixed with gall, the sedative, he spit it out. And then he said these words, 
it is finished. There was something in the air on that day. Literally, a power and authority, a dominion like never before on that Calvary evening. Something happened that day. Something the Bible says that the God of this world would never have done if he would have understood what was going on. Something heaven nor hell understood. Those three words of infinite declaration, purposeful dedication, and final affirmation were declared. It is finished. Tetelestai. Immediately. Before breathing his last breath, Jesus cried out on the cross, Tetelasai. One word with a critical meaning. It is finished. It is completed, brought to an end, accomplished with finality. After Satan had shamed, beaten, mocked, tortured, and crucified the Son of God as the devil celebrated because he had done his worst. Jesus didn't just whisper out a meager resolution, I'm finished, exhausted, giving up, surrendering to death and the enemy. Oh no. Oh, no. He declared for all eternity, it is finished. The law was made perfect. Jesus had obeyed his father's will. It is finished. God's righteous wrath had collided with God's perfect grace and love. Justice had been satisfied. Reconciliation between flawed humanity and a holy God was made possible. It is finished. The Son had allowed people to see a glimpse of the Father. He brought light to the nations. It is finished. The messianic prophecies had all been fulfilled. The veil was torn. The Old Testament sacrificial system was now obsolete. Jesus Christ had become the blameless sacrifice for every sin. Once and for all, the debt was paid in full. Now and for always, it is finished. There is nothing more for you or me to add. Your good works are insufficient to appease a holy God. Turning over a new leaf will get you nothing eternal. Your striving for perfection will never be good enough to improve on what Jesus has already done. It is finished. Your poverty nor your prosperity will earn you reconciliation with God. You cannot give enough, acquire enough, or deprive yourself enough to profit God's favor. And you will never be able to attend enough religious gatherings to add 
anything to his completed work on the cross. Your performance, your talent, your intellect are all deficient for salvation. It is finished. An extra special word or understanding is not required. You don't need a new revelation from a preacher, a prophet, a teacher, a book, a blog, or even yourself. It is finished. Anything you try to add to his completed work in order to be made right with God is impotent. Perhaps even insulting and actually heretical. It is finished. So what does one do when the work of salvation is complete? Believe and repent. Rest. Worship and give thanks. Rejoice and share. Believe that Jesus is Lord and has fully paid the debt of our salvation. Repent from your belief in your own self-sufficiency and follow Jesus exclusively. It is finished. Rest. Quit striving for God's love, acceptance, and forgiveness. The work is done. Accept it. Worship Rest in it. And give thanks. Give him the glory he is due. Express gratitude for his mercy and grace. It is finished. Rejoice and share. Doesn't everyone need to know about this freedom? Praise Jesus. It, it is finished.
sound like something victorious, church? Let me wrap this up. We've talked about the victory. We've talked about the overcoming. We've talked about your destiny and my destiny. Rest in the fact that it is finished. He's done it all. I want to bring it into this place here because I have so many people ask me, that, Pastor, why do we still struggle? Am I speaking to anybody here? Why do we still go through this thing or that thing? I read a story about a Civil War soldier one time that kind of articulates what you and I have to deal with. And this Civil War soldier came back to the field to his captain, and he found him greatly wounded, And the captain said, give me your gun and get to the rear of the battle. So the soldier complied and gave the captain the gun. And, and all of a sudden, he, he ran as far as he could to the north, seeking safety. But only just two or 300 yards, he came upon another skirmish. He ran to the east and then to the west, and he found just a few hundred yards away, there was another skirmish and another skirmish. He finally ran back to the captain. He said, Captain, give me my rifle back. There ain't no end to this battle anywhere. And that's what it seems like in your life and mine. I'm victorious in Christ, but why am I still battling? Let me share with you a true story that happened in a missionary's hut in South America. The missionary and his family came home one day to find this massive snake, an anaconda that has found its way into its shed. Well, it was not an unknown problem because they were in the Amazon jungle And so they called for the local snake remover. They literally had one because it was a normal problem. Well, to the missionaries, they're thinking, this is not normal by any means, but they called for him. And all of a sudden, the man just walks in there with a great big machete, comes out literally a few moments later, and the entire house sounds like a war is going on inside. The man walked out and said, you're going to have to stay outside for a couple hours. I have beheaded the snake, but he doesn't know he's dead yet. Now, if you've ever dealt with that, I, you know, living in Arizona and many places with snakes, if you decapitate a snake, it will slither and it will, well, this was a huge anaconda. And when the, when the war zone seemed to have quelched, they walked in and they found like a hurricane had gone through the house. 
You say, well, Pastor, why are you telling that story? Because, ladies and gentlemen, the devil has been defeated. He has been beheaded. He just doesn't know it yet. So he is still showing up, and he is trying to wreak havoc in your house. He is trying to make a mess out of your life. The whole time trying to cause you to give up on the one that has already won the battle. Can somebody say amen? You see, ladies and gentlemen, win when you can, but when you lose, act if you enjoyed the change. Because you are already victorious. You are always victorious. Good Friday, and I want you to listen to me, has yet a gooder part, and it was three days later. I know gooder ain't good English, but folks, that's good preaching. Come on. Good Friday gets gooder because three days later there was a resurrection. And we've talked about it with the soldiers. We've talked about it with the ladies. I want to take you into God's Word. You see, about 700 years before Calvary, Isaiah prophesied about Jesus and what he would look like on that day. Now, I know this is something that bothers people. But I can't help but not let it bother because it's what he did. It's what he went through. How many have seen the movie The Passion? Can I tell you, as horrific as that picture looked, it was nothing compared to what Jesus really went through. Isaiah wrote these words in Isaiah 52, verse 14, and I'm going to read out the Amplified version. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being that you could barely see human likeness. He continued on in Isaiah 53 when he said, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid as it was our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. To satisfy our own guilt, we think, well, Jesus must have gone through something because of something horrible is what went through the, the countryside at the time. But yet the scripture says, no, that's not it at all. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. We talked about those words, it is finished. It is finished. Clear the screen, please. It is finished. The first thing, ladies and gentlemen, that was finished, he had finished the work that the Father sent him to do. He said, Father, I have done what you have sent me to do. Glorify your Son now in this. The second thing that happened, he was both lamb and high priest, his own blood was the permanent removal for the sins, complete, perfected, fully accomplished. Once and for all, the sacrifice was finished. Can somebody say amen? Forever. The third thing that happened at Calvary on that day, the debt was paid in full. You see, the Bible says in word and in deed. We, we don't understand this terminology of deed because we don't live it in today's society. But as an older gentleman, not much, but older, we used to get a title deed. We would get a title deed to a car. We would get a title deed to a home. We would get it. What the deed meant was ownership. And so what it literally meant when he said, Tetelase, the payment was in full. 
Listen to this. The parchment deed of debt was recorded, stamped, and sealed, delivered, paid in full. When Jesus uttered those words, it is finished. It was a declaration to heaven. It was a declaration on earth. It was a declaration to hell that everything has been fully satisfied. The Colossian writer Paul the Apostle said that the the ordinance that was written against us has been taken out of the way, nailed to a cross. His blood utterly and completely cleansed you and I forever. The far-reaching and all-embracing of all that he had done is now represented in the faith that you and I walk in victoriously because it is finished. The fourth and final thing, the era of the old ended and the era of the new began. The Bible says that the old was done away with with the old sacrifice, but there was a new blood of a sacrifice that was given once and for all. When Jesus exclaimed, it is finished, the cross was the great divide of human history. The old covenant ended, the new covenant begun. It was finished. Why do I struggle? Many years ago, there was a great battle, the Battle of Waterloo, they called it. And the French were under the command of Napoleon, and they were fighting the Allies, the British, the Dutch, and the Germans, under the command of Wellington. Well, the people of England depended on a system of semaphore signals to find out how the battles were going. These were like Morse code with lights. And one of those signals were stationed at Westminster Cathedral. And late in the day, the signal began to flash. W-E-L-L-I-N-G-T-O-N-D-E-F-E-A-T-D. And then it went dead. Because a great fog has settled in. The people were devastated because the news said Wellington was defeated. It quickly spread across the countryside, and the whole countryside was gloomy and sad because of the news. They thought their country had lost the war, but all of a sudden, the message or this fog lifted, and the remainder of the message was now read, and the message had four words, not two. It said these words, Wellington defeated the enemy. Ladies and gentlemen, on that day 2,000 years ago, we know the enemy was defeated. Yet you and I struggle with the fact that the enemy knows his time is short. And he still has power, which is called deception. And he comes in to try to deceive us, to lead us away from the victory that was wrought in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're consumed with grief. Can I tell you something? Jesus bore your grief. Maybe you're here today and you're overwhelmed with sorrow. Remember, the Bible teaches that Jesus bore and carried your sorrow. As the worship team comes, maybe you're here today and you're trapped in a life of transgression. Remember that Jesus was wounded for your transgressions. Maybe you're here and you're living in a life of sin and you think you just can't break free 
remember that Jesus was bruised for your iniquities. You might be here and you say, I just can't grab peace. I just can't. It seems like everywhere I turn, there's a battle going on. Understand, ladies and gentlemen, he was tormented for your peace, chastised for your peace. Maybe you're physically, mentally, emotionally sick. He said he was wounded for your healing. I don't know where you are today, but if I could take you just for a moment back to some words that you saw on the screen, and they're very true, what death did to Jesus is nothing compared to what Jesus did to death. And the real message that surrounds the resurrection is you can't run and hide, but you can win. You say, well, pastor, how do I win? You basically stand. You stand up. See, the victory is yours because the battle is his. The victory is yours because the battle has already been fought and won. When Jesus was laid in the tomb on that first Good Friday afternoon, hope had died, even in the hearts of Jesus' most loyal friends. After the frightful crucifixion, just like there in the Battle of Waterloo, the fog of disappointment and misunderstanding has crept in on the friends of Jesus. For they had only read part of the divine message, Christ defeated. That's all they knew. Maybe you're here and you've given your life to Christ and you've had some good times. The sad reality, ladies and gentlemen, is too many times in the church, all we preach is the victory. All we preach is the fact that we can overcome. But so many times we won't deal with the fact that there's still a battle to go through. Am I making any sense? Amen. And so when you face the battle, you wonder, God, have you forsaken me? What have I done wrong? When the reality, you've done nothing wrong. You're living for him. You're standing in him. The disciples knew how you felt. All they knew is Christ was defeated. The one they followed, the one that they would have given their lives for. But on the third day, the fog lifted. On the third day, the soldiers talked about it. On the first day, the ladies articulated it. On the third day, it is finished. They saw it accomplished. They saw what he did and what he said was exactly the way it happened. Disappointment, disappointment, misunderstanding were lifted and the world received the completed message. Christ defeated death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? 
Where's your victory today? Is it in a circumstance or a situation or is it in a risen Lord? Where's your hope today? In a long gone memory or on a hill? That was empty 2,000 years ago. I don't know about you folks, but I still go through stuff. But the key phrase of that is I go through it. I don't stay in it. I go through it. Are you living in it right now? Are you still in that tomb of defeat? That pit of despair? Are you still covered by that fog of disappointment or disillusionment? Today, Jesus is here to set the captive free. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harding. From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.